Hi, I'm Janelle. And I'm Monique. And welcome to Is Marriage Worth It? We are just two single chicks, girls, women. Anything but females. Trying to figure out what marriage is like and is it worth it? I'm assuming the best place to get the answers is from married people. Maybe engaged people, newlyweds, and even other singles. Each episode, we will have a guest answering different questions we have or that you may have about marriage. Join us as we try to figure out, is marriage worth it? And if it is, I wonder if my future husband or yours is listening right now. Hi, I'm Monique. And I'm Janelle. And welcome to... Is marriage worth it? Our guest today is Allison. She, I found her on um, Podguest. I think it's called podguest.com. And so I reached out to her and she emailed me back and said she would like to be a guest. So this is exciting. Thank you so much, Allison, for coming on our podcast today. Oh, you're very welcome. My pleasure. So to get things started, could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Um, I'm Allison Penna. I call myself Bad Widow. (laughs) I lost my husband to pancreatic cancer in 2016. And I now, you know, to orient it towards your show, I also now have a boyfriend who I live with. So I've been single, I've been widowed, and I have a boyfriend. (laughs) Covering many of the grounds. All the spectrum. (laughs) All right. So we'll take things a little bit back. How long were you married? I was married three weeks short of 20 years. And I was with the same man three weeks short of 25 years. A long time. Wow. So how did you guys meet? <laughs> we met on the only church retreat he ever went on in his life. <laughs> Love at it. The, at the Delaware Water Gap. Um, I was part of the leadership group. It was singles in their 20s and 30s. And uh, I was fed up with everything in my life fed up with men, fed up with my job, fed up with where everything. So I complained two hours up in the car. <laughs> and when we got there, my girlfriend said, what you need in your life is a serious relationship. And I said, have you not been listening to a word I've been saying? <laughs> it's the last thing I need. And she said, you should go and talk to this, that guy over there, this new guy. And, um, you know, I was like, yeah, no, not happening. Um, But that afternoon, you know, he was just kind of sitting and I thought, well, I'm going to go over and just talk to him, see what happens. We were by the the, um, Delaware River. So there was this dock and I thought it could be romantic. And uh, it wasn't romantic. There were these guys fishing for crappies. And they knew everything about fish and eel and stuff. And so we <laughs> laughed and laughed and laughed. And then we just wanted to keep talking. Um, and so we did. We, we and started making out. And around five o'clock in the morning, I said, you know, we really should get some sleep because I have to lead groups in the morning. <laughs> and he said to me, or we could go lie on the dock and watch the sunrise. And it was like this bell went off. And I thought, oh, my gosh, this is the one. It took wow. him. <laughs> <laughs> but you hear it on the Internet. When a guy knows 
a guy knows. And like, yeah, sleep is very important. I enjoy it a lot. Um, but if I've been up all night talking to you, yeah, let's watch the sunrise. You know what? what? Who needs it? Yeah. Well, he didn't know that I was the one, you know, to to uh, ask me to marry him for mm-hmm. four and a half more years. He was an artist. Okay. And none of his, virtually none of his friends were married. So he had no model for okay. the actual working for a person who did what he did. Yeah. <laughs> so in those four and a half years, I guess, of dating, what was that like? It was, it was glorious. I mean, we were seriously hot and heavy. And then he took a very, very long time to ask me to marry him. He got really scared in the middle Mm. and everything was going great. And he broke up with me. He took um, all, all the stuff that was at his place and he brought it up to my place and he said, we can't see each other anymore. And I said, what? (laughs) I'm like, what? And walked out. And um, I've actually never told this story. And so I called him. He wouldn't take my calls. I had the key to his place. He changed the locks. And he lived in a um, live-work building Mm -hmm. on Union Square in New York City. And so I went and I hid in the hallway (laughs) until he came home. And I'm like, we are going to talk. And I said, if you can look at me and say, you do not love me, I will walk away and you will never see me again. We didn't necessarily move in the same circle. So that was really possible. Mm-hmm. And he said, I can't do that. And I said, then you don't get to break up with me. Wow. And we took a break and got back together. And then he asked me to marry him. It was rocky. <laughs> <laughs> Did he ever explain like the thought process that happened? Like what spooked him? Um, He, what I found out later was that in the four and a half years before he actually proposed, he asked everyone their opinions on marriage. He asked taxi drivers. He asked friends. He's like pros and cons. Give me the pros and cons. And I'm like, really? (laughs) (laughs) Just everybody. (laughs) Just everybody. Which I thought was very funny, but I think he just got scared. It's well, it would be a whole new world for him. And like you said, he hadn't seen like examples from his friends or anything around him. So diving into something new. Yeah. Really scary. After you guys got engaged, how long was your engagement? It was fairly quick. It was about six months. My grandparents were failing. And my, my grandmother, especially, she had Lou Gehrig's disease and I wanted them to be at the wedding. So I pushed the timing of it um, so that we got married fairly quickly. But the other thing that happened was that six weeks before we got married, we had a real roller coaster. Um, he had a psychotic break and we both discovered that he was actually manic depressive. Oh, And six weeks later, we married. I chose to marry him Um, because I I said to myself, you know, do you love this guy? Same guy, Mm -hmm. you know, new information, which clearly was going to make it more complicated. But same man that I loved. And I thought, yeah, I love him. And so I'm going to marry him and I'll I'll do this and we'll do this. 
So with that information, did it scare you a little bit at all to continue with him? Or you just really were just knew that he was your guy? No, it totally scared me. And I knew he was my guy. So I was, I just had to include it, you know, Mm -hmm. you don't know people change through their lives. You change at different ages, you change with different jobs, things happen. You know, there are all these changes that happen all the time. And do, do you hang with the choice that you made, especially with love? You know, do you stick or do you leave? And I just chose to stick. Now I could have no idea what that would actually mean practically. Right. Um, you know, he, he was manic depressive. So how do you get the medications that keep him level? And then some years down, we found out he was diabetic and then he got cancer. So it was, there was a lot and it was worth it. What was your first year of marriage like? Um, The first year of marriage, we were, so in the beginning, it was because he he had this psychotic break just before we got married. Mm -hmm. The beginning of our marriage, honestly, was just getting him steady because they over-medicated him. Oh, no. So it was how do you find the drugs that are going to work so he can function and he can do his work and be happy. And so the first piece was just getting that straight. Mm -hmm. But we were good. I mean, there was a weird side effect, which meant that he was more open about things that had happened in his life than he had been before. Hmm. And so there was more communication. So there were really tough things and there were really amazing things that happened in that first year. And we, we were good. I mean, lots of ups and downs and anyone, you know, is marriage worth it? Anyone who's been married will tell you unless they're lying. (laughs) They've considered divorce at some point. There's some moment in almost every marriage where you think about why did I do this? Mm-hmm. You know, and then you choose the the big lie about marriage is happily ever after. That's the big lie because it takes work. Any relationship takes work. It's not yeah. one and done. Like you don't choose on that day and say I do and be witnessed and then you're done. The choice is just made and you're set for the rest of your life. Yeah, that's the lie. <laughs> <laughs> Allison is out here telling us the truth. It, it's, you know, because what, what happens is you're, you're two people. There, I, I thought a lot about this because I haven't actually done a show like this before. Hmm. I've talked about the marriage and I've talked about my relationship with my boyfriend, but not in this particular way. And mm-hmm. when you get married, you... Um, you make a choice between two people, but you also make it, you're witnessed by a community. Right. Mm. And they basically say, we will support and hold up this relationship. And there's something really powerful about that. But there's also right afterwards, what clicks in is everybody's ideas about marriage. Mm-hmm. Right. Are you mm-hmm. going to be June Cleaver? You know, Mm. (laughs) put on the apron, you know, have the dinner ready, whatever. 
And so since you're two different people, you actually have two different ideas about marriage from your parents, Mm -hmm. which as soon as you get married, start to clash. (laughs) (laughs) But because you never were, he was never married before. I was never married before. We had no history of being married to anyone else. We didn't actually realize that would happen. Right. Mm. Right after we got married, he said, okay, now that we're married, we're going to have dinner parties. And I thought, we've been having dinner parties. (laughs) (laughs) Is there something new? (laughs) Is there a fancy, is there a different dinner party than what we've been doing before? Like, it was was strange. (laughs) And if you hadn't been having dinner parties before, why start now? I know, right? I I was mystified by the fact that there was this line of demarcation. Okay, now we're going to have these married dinner parties. (laughs) (laughs) What did your family and friends think about uh, your husband and you getting married back then? Um, They, well, they didn't know about the manic depression Mm because I didn't tell them. So that was the secret I kept for two years and big mistake because I cut myself off from my community of support. But his mother said, we're not going to tell anybody about this. And there's so much demonizing of mental health stuff. Right. That I agreed. Mm. But it it had a cost. Um, My family, basically, they liked him because he made me happy. They were worried about him because he was an artist. My dad was an investment banker. It was really different. Very different. Yeah. And they sort of thought I would marry a, a... an investment banker and have little investment banker, (laughs) you know, and, and I, that was not my path. That was not, I never met an investment banker who made me feel more myself, which in my opinion is the only reason to get married. Someone who has you be more, you know, Mm. I've not ever been interested in, Okay, you bring half and I'll bring half and together we make a whole. No, you bring 100%, I'll bring 100%, let's make 200%. I'm much more interested in that. Nice. I like that. When I when I um so my husband got cancer, was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer in 2015 and that's you know, 6 weeks to 4 months is the lifespan expectancy for someone with that. Oh wow. Yep. And the doctor sort of said, slow down, take it easy. And we thought, well, we can either prepare to die or or we can live till the last day. And we chose the second one. The other thing that we did in that time, because suddenly we realized that life was short, is we recommitted to loving each other in a way that we hadn't since pretty early in the beginning. That's sweet. Yeah. You don't realize it's important until you're looking at the time and the time is literally going to run out and you can see it. And so that changed everything. I mean, if we had operated like that in our marriage for the whole of our marriage, that would be mm-hmm. a, would have been a really different 25 years. But you take things for granted. Mm-hmm. Like who's getting the groceries? You forgot to take out the trash. You know, relationships take work. We find we forget that time is finite. Yeah. So the little things feel big in the moment until you realize. So what were some of the things that you did to 
make life mean more? Well, what we started doing was we started, you know, knocking off bucket list items. Mm -hmm. Uh, I had wanted to talk about my work on stages and sing in cabaret shows. I'd been in gospel choirs, huge gospel choirs for years, like 10 years. Um, But I really wanted to stand on a stage and sing, just sing a few songs of my own. And in the 11 months when he was going to the end, I spoke on three stages and sang on four. Wow. Wow. But it was on my bucket list 10 years. And I was kind of scared of being embarrassed and kind of scared of making a fool of myself Mm -hmm. or not doing well enough. And so I didn't do it. And then when he was dying, I thought, life is short. What exactly am I waiting for? You know, why am I waiting to say I love you? Why am I waiting to sing on a stage? Why am I waiting? Mm -hmm. And we wound up really cutting out those things that we didn't love to do, cutting out the people we didn't really love as much as possible, and only doing what brought us joy. It's not completely possible to cut out all toxic people, but, um, you know, he loved to play tennis and he loved to paint. He was an artist. The painting behind me is one of his. I was going to ask. It's beautiful. Yeah. And he left me about 800 paintings. Wow. Which I'm I'm selling, Um, which is, you know, decluttering after a spouse dies. I have a whole different issue. Um, cause I had to bring them home from his studio to my apartment mm-hmm. and I live in New York city. So apartments are not that big here. They are not. <laughs> nope. Nope. Oh, so suddenly 800 feels less romantic. Okay. I see. <laughs> well, and he never, he never threw anything out. So he had a lot of unfinished paintings that I, I couldn't bring. He left me actually a thousand. I wound up getting destroying about 200 that were unfinished, which was devastating right after he died. Oh, yeah. Um, But in those last months, what we did was, you know, made sure he could play tennis. He finished his last commission the Thursday before the Saturday he died at home in my arms. I sang in the last cabaret show the Tuesday before he died. He shoved me out the door. I left him to visit with my mom. The last song I sang was called The Secret of Happiness. And the first song was I Will Survive, Gloria Gaynor. And he died. So what was it like being a caregiver for your husband during that time? Um, There were times of great intimacy where we just held each other and loved each other. There were times when he was so sad and so angry that he would shout at me. Uh, there were times when I thought I would break. You know, it was it was really a lot, it was really a lot. And when I needed self-care and I'd say, you know, I have to go and do this. And he'd say, but I'm the one with cancer. So on both sides, the other thing that happened at the beginning was we we each tried to keep all the things that we were feeling from the other. Okay. So they wouldn't be scared, but that left us completely alone. And eventually we realized that we, we actually needed to share how we were feeling. Mm -hmm. 
but the the last day, you know, he literally died with me holding him in his in my arms with his head on my shoulder. And I had my head back because the tears were dripping and I didn't want them to land on his body and scare him. Yeah. And he said, you know, what about my mom? What about the studio? What about you? What about the paintings? And I'm like, I've got it. In a body, you need breath and love. When you leave a body, you can just go out on the love. I'm like, stay as long as you want, leave when you're, you want, and when you're ready, go out on the love. And he did. Four breaths in my arms, and he left. And I was a widow right then, after 25 years with one man. And I had no idea what I was doing. And I, a friend wound up calling in and I'm like, I, I got to call the funeral parlor and I got to do this and I got to do that. And she said, no, you don't. She said, you can take all the time you need. Mm. And so I just held him for a while. And he died um, September 10th, 2016 at 1010 in the morning. So all nines and tens. Um, and I didn't even call the funeral parlor till one o'clock because I didn't want them to rush over. I just wanted a little time. And my mom was coming. I'm like, don't rush. He's gone. You know? Yeah. (sighs) So how did your village like rally around you during this time? Um, it was... So my, my, I had been sharing all that was going on throughout, um, you know, asking for help. Like I asked a, a group of women I knew who were really good at self-care, give me, give me all your best self-care tips. And I wound up with a list of a hundred that I could just go to when I was completely exhausted and drained and couldn't think of anything. And so that was a real help to have, to have that. Um, I had very little energy. So some of the effects of losing a loved one are um, flagging energy, memory loss, literally lost pockets of time and inability to focus. And that made it really hard for me to reach out to people. And people don't know what to do with someone who's grieving. No. Especially mm-hmm. loss of a spouse. They have no idea. So what winds up happening is they say and do stupid things. And it's not that they don't mean well. It's that they just don't know. And it's nothing that anybody talks about from what I call in the raw, from that place where you don't look good. You know, I cried hard and almost all the time for a year. In the second year, I could go zero to rage in five seconds for no reason. Um, the first year is I can't believe this has happened. It doesn't feel real. I would, I would lie in bed in the morning and I could feel the warmth of him at my back. And then I would wake up and it would be real again that he was gone every day. And people would say, and I was sleeping two hours, maybe four hours at a stretch. So it's always exhausting. Um, my, I, I got a lot of support in various ways from people. It got better when I learned how to ask mm-hmm. because at the beginning, people were just offering what me what they thought they would want in my place. They weren't actually offering me what I needed. Right. 
And um, eventually I figured that out and I started, that's where kind of Bad Widow came in. I started saying, well, that doesn't work. I can't answer that. I mean, something as simple as how are you? Seems like an easy question, right? And I would think, how do you think I am? I love this man for 25 years. He's gone. The future I thought I had is completely dusted. I'm unable to work. I can't reach out to people easily. How do you think I am? And that would be the thought going through in my head. And they were asking a simple question. And so I started coming back and saying, you know, I can't answer that. But if you ask me, how are you right now? Or how are you today? I can answer that. And so I started letting people know what my actual experience was rather than just going along and saying, fine, because fine didn't help them support me. And so they felt, you know, helpless. I felt frustrated or angry and I drove people away. You know, if I burst into tears or got angry and they couldn't handle it, I had people leave. Like a lot of people leave. It's just our society is really bad with grief and like Mm -hmm. death as a whole. Yeah. And I'm not going to I'm not going to pretend that I'm it's it's the topic I talk. I want to talk the least about because it makes me the most uncomfortable. But especially with what's happened, especially with what's happened in the last 15 months and what has happened throughout our lifetimes, unexpected events are happening and people are losing loved ones. And so there is a sense of helplessness when it comes like, I don't know what to say. Yes. But I feel like a bad person if I don't say anything. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, the people, the people who were saying things and doing things, they meant well. They were doing the best they could with the information that they had. But because we don't talk about this stuff, they didn't know what to do. You know, so when I when I gave guidance about what to do, they were so relieved and so glad. Eventually, so I I went along and just started expanding my horizons, um, asking for help periodically. There was one day when, um, so in, in my home, I have about 50 paintings on the wall. I have two bookshelves laid on their sides with paintings in them. Mm-hmm. I have four drawers of racks of works on paper with oil canvases stacked on top of them. There are paintings behind the couch. There are paintings <laughs> under the bookshelves. <laughs> there are paintings, right? So when I, I have many, many female friends, but I, I didn't have a lot of male friends. And mm-hmm. I missed just doing things with men, you know, being able to go to a movie, go listen to music, whatever. And so yeah. what I decided to do I couldn't honestly imagine intimacy with anyone else. You know, I was with this same guy yeah. for 25 years. Mm-hmm. It was half my life, just about half my life. Yeah. But I, I thought, okay, well, let me get on to an online dating app. And I got oh, on yeah. Bumble. Now, when I met my husband, I was 32. When I There's hope for me. <laughs> I was 56. That's a different game. Very. Mm. It's a different game. 
And I'd heard all the horror stories about online dating, but I still had no energy. And so I thought, okay, well, I'm going to, I'm going to get on Bumble and I'm going to start just pushing my own comfort zone out. And I wrote my profile as clearly as I could to describe um, myself. So I don't like sandy beaches at all. (laughs) I am not a tropical person. I like rocky beaches. So in my profile, I said, prefer rocky beaches to sandy ones. (laughs) Now, why in the world would I do that? What I wanted was if someone's joy was going to the Jersey Shore every weekend, not my guy. Knock them out. Right? If they love Florida, not my guy. And so my purpose was to put in things that told about me that had people go, no, but I like that. She's not my person. Mm -hmm. So I wanted them to say no rather than my having to. Right. Because I still had no energy. I said um, I had very few criteria for the, the, the other person. I said, um, no smoking. I just can't cope with that. Yeah. Um, I said, no Trump people. And I said, um, must love music because I do open mics, open mic singing, open mic poetry. Um, And so those were my only three criteria for the other person, because in the initial screen, I didn't care about anything else. Right. Mm. And I needed to do my best not to compare them with my husband. Mm -hmm. Mm. I didn't actually, after 25 years, know who I liked. Because you just liked him. I just liked him. And then after I lost him, I'm a different person. Yeah. I'm a different age. Yeah. I've gone through a lot of life changes. There are things that I gave up at the beginning of our dating, like doing open mics and singing. He didn't love it. Mm-hmm. So slowly that got smaller and smaller in my life that I took back. One of the things you hear a lot from widows is that they really like the autonomy, taking the autonomy back. And it was a chance for me to relook at, okay, well, what do I like for myself? And if I was to go into another relationship, what would I not give up again that I gave up the first time? Because there are compromises you make in any relationship. And I had given up in my first relationship some things that actually really mattered to me. Mm. And in this relationship, I haven't. I give up things I don't care about. Relationships include compromise. Right. That's just the way it goes. <laughs> you know, you're two people, you're, you're rubbing along with each other. That's how it goes. You will need to compromise on some things, but... If you compromise on what matters, you do lose something for yourself. So I started dating and I couldn't stand to be touched Hmm. because my skin was only accustomed to his skin. Mm -hmm. So my head knew he was gone, but my heart, my body did not. And so I couldn't have someone's arm around me because they were not the same size and shape and not the same person, not the same smell. Mm -hmm. You know, we're, we're, are, we're physical. Right. You know, and those physical things after, especially after a spouse dies are really strong. And so I would say if I hit an occasion where I 
was just particularly sensitive, I'd be like, don't touch me. Mm -hmm. And then I would have to explain why. Yeah. It's me, not you. (laughs) (laughs) And one of the most useful things in that time when I would have a weird reaction is I would ask myself, is it me? Is it you? Or is it us? Hmm. And that let me see what I needed to do next, because if it was me, I had to handle me. Right. If it was him, that was a conversation about why. And if it was us, then that was a dynamic between us. Um, But being kissed put me into panic attacks. Mm -hmm. That's strong. That's strong. So, And I did a big screening process. And eventually, July 1st of 2018, I went on my first date. Wound up being two dates, actually. I had not dated anyone since 1992. Wow. Except when I met my husband. (sighs) And then that day, I had set up a date with this young guy, Mm -hmm. 10 years younger than I was, for brunch. (laughs) And... And and the reason we did brunch was I said, you know, we could go to the movies. And he said, oh, with a pretty girl and you are a pretty girl, I always have to put my arm around her. And I'm like, "Okay, no movies. Mm -mm. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely not. Thank you for letting me know, though. (laughs) Thanks for brunch across the table. We're good, right? Yes. And then that same day, there was another guy named Wayne, who's now my boyfriend, who I live with. And uh, he had reached out to me. We did the swipe left, swipe right, swipe right. Mm -hmm. And um, so I wrote him and I said, you know, today's a really hot day. I'm going to go see one of these two movies. And why don't we get together someday? And he said, let's go to one of the two movies I suggested and let's have someday be today. And I was like, okay. Okay. That was my reaction. (laughs) I'm like, yeah, okay. So we went on one date and saw the one of the Jurassic World movies <laughs> next like this and liked each other enough to go on another. And he just kept rising to the surface. Okay. He just kept being okay with me exactly as I was. And I was a hot mess. Absolutely a hot mess. Like... In uh, October or something, I said, Dave died in September. October was our anniversary. You know, one thing after another, after another, after another in terms of occasions. Mm -hmm. And so in October, I said, you know, you may want to not see me until January. I'll be through this phase then. And then about three days later, I called and I invited him to go and see my cousin, film a movie at MoMA and to meet my mom. So he was getting whiplash with me. <laughs> I'm not going to see you to January. Want to meet my mom? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. The poor man. <laughs> poor man. And we just kept liking each other more and more, except, and I got to the point where I could have his arm around me and I got to the point where he could kiss me without my freaking out most of mm-hmm. the time. But we had not been intimate. And we, we, by Christmas, we were thinking, you know, that we wanted to move in together. 
but we wow. didn't want to move in together as roommates. So we had to figure out if this last piece worked. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. if not, we were going to part. And so it was Christmas. We discovered we were exactly on the same page in the same place that we wanted to move in together. And we made a deal. We said, okay, we're going to go to a hotel in Tarrytown for the weekend. (laughs) And the only rule was one room and one bed. Mm -hmm. And I would see if I could get through all of the grief. Mm Because every time I felt desire or joy, the grief came up at the same time. Because it felt like betraying my husband. Right. Was It was really, really hard. Did and, you talk to somebody about this? Well, I was in widow's groups and I'd heard, okay, the first time after, you're going to cry. And I thought, okay, well, I'm going to have one good hard cry and then done. Yeah, no, I cried the whole weekend. Oh. I packed a pair of old navy red and white spotted pajamas two negligees and I'm like you may never see me out of the spotted pajamas now they were the kind that like closes at the ankles (laughs) (laughs) long sleeves (laughs) like in the holiday commercials (laughs) pretty much pretty much and you know we we pressed through and it it worked Mm mm-hmm but we would just hold each other until I hit a panic attack. And then I would go, stop. And we would go for a walk, go get something to eat, go to the pool, come back. And I just kept pressing my own fears and my own grief. Mm -hmm. And it worked. It worked beautifully. And it was the hardest thing I've ever done. I cried literally the entire weekend. And I called stop many, many, many times, you know, and and my favorite moment was, you know, a really fraught moment. And I'm like, stop, stop, stop. (laughs) He was like, oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) And stopped and stopped. And what he said was that if I could be that brave, he could be that patient. Wow. Wow. Yep. I love it. Yeah. And so then um, I had a roommate at the time. And so the roommate moved out about a few months later. Mm -hmm. And he moved in that April. And (laughs) so the the apartment is filled with my husband's art. So any guy who moves in here has Mm -hmm. to deal with that. Yeah. It's not a couple of photos that can be stuck in a drawer. 800 paintings. I have 15 portraits of my husband, 50. So we had talked about, you know, when I move in, you're going to need to make space for me. We're going to need to think about moving the furniture around a little bit, like making a place where I can be home too, because this, these paintings are a reality, (laughs) you know, (laughs) and they'll continue to be a reality until they're sold. But so he moves in. Fortunately, he didn't have very much stuff. (laughs) (laughs) That works out. And he goes, okay, now what are we going to change? And I looked at him like, change? (laughs) You're all the change I can handle. (laughs) 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 Furniture. (laughs) 
And, you know, periodically we just keep making space. And I'm now to where my my heart can handle really starting to sell the art in a much bigger way. And that will make more space for us. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, it's been it's been wild. It's been wild. And a, a weird thing about widows is I have a husband and I have a boyfriend mm-hmm. because I didn't choose to end things with my husband. Right. Mm. That choice was taken from me. But I was I was talking to my boyfriend last night because I thought, you know, they they might ask me if I would marry you. And I'm like, I haven't really thought that over very much. And when I got married to my husband, since I've got like the whole spectrum, single right. widowed. <laughs> <laughs> when I got married to my husband, I was it felt like something to be complete. Mm -hmm. I loved him and that's what you do. So there was very much a, this is one of the things that you do, you know, is you get married. Right. Um, And with my boyfriend, you know, we, I'm in my fifties, I'm not having children. So that's not playing into it as part of the decision. And Thinking about it, I thought, you know, I would absolutely marry him if we both wanted that. Okay. And I'm totally clear that he's my forever person, whether or not we marry. I like that. Because, you know, when you get married, you there's paperwork and you choose. And, you know, if you disentangle, there's more paperwork. Mm hmm. But in reality, you're still choosing every day, every week, every month, every year to stay with that person. Otherwise, you wouldn't. And so I wasn't aware of that when I married my husband. I wasn't thinking about that. The fact that it's not one and done. I was really mad when he died because I thought, oh, man, go back into the dating world. Go. I thought this was done. You know, I didn't think I'd have to do this again. <laughs> <laughs> really? <laughs> this really is awful. <laughs> and, and, you know, especially when you think you've got it handled. OK, I'm set. It's been 25 years. I've got a, a rock and roll and down marriage, but I have this good marriage, this man I love who loves me. Mm -hmm. And now I don't. And now what? Um, With my boyfriend, that year and a half, close to two years, when I, I was basically not touched by anyone. You know, hugs from children or family or friends or whatever, but... Mm -hmm gave me a real appreciation for touch. And so with my boyfriend, I'm more affectionate than I was with my husband or he was with me. We speak, I love you a lot more because life is short Mm -hmm. and you don't know what's going to happen. I mean, nobody does. Right. And so the most important things actually need to be said. So that's kind of, did you receive any type of judgments or anything about moving on from your friends and family? Oh, yes. 
People will say it's too fast and they'll say it's too slow. I had someone when Dave had been on for four months say, okay, David, my husband came to me in a dream, this friend's dream. Absolutely not. Don't do that. And, and said, and told me that it's time for you to move on and start dating and for me to, too. And I'm like, oh yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> That's a dream you could have kept to yourself. <laughs> Facts, because let's break that down. My husband came to you when he could have just come to me. Well, and he did often and loudly. <laughs> And so he's telling you that I should move on. And this is not a message I received from him. Thank you very much for your time, but you can go. We're not doing that. Doors that way. It very much is. Doors that way. Go away. <laughs> ew. Just ill. It was ew. And, and my husband was a very uh, active ghost. I, I have a pretty comfortable relationship with the people who or on the other side in Mm -hmm. a strange way. And so there were a lot of messages, you know, music sequences that answered questions, turning the television on when I was in the other room, Mm -hmm. when I was sad to remind me he was there. Um, You know, when I was mean to myself, he would turn off lights until I stopped. And when I started dating, mm-hmm. those people who could actually talk to him, which I couldn't, I just got these kind of messages. Mm-hmm. Um, I was dating two men, Wayne and one other guy. And David, my husband, really wanted me to drop the other guy. He got really angry when, <laughs> <laughs> when I was talking to the other guy. And he insisted that he brought this man to me. Um, so he was very happy when I started dating. Mm-hmm. Oh. Very happy. And there was a, a time when, and fortunately my boyfriend doesn't freak out about ghosts because there was a time I was at his place mm-hmm. and I was sleeping and my boyfriend had gotten up to use the restroom he came back and there was a man looking at me like who as I was lying sleeping in the bed but there was nobody there and he told me the next day and I said I guess you just met Dave <laughs> wow <laughs> and he didn't freak out which was good <laughs> yeah that's definitely a win <laughs> it was a win because it was an odd it's an odd problem to have mm-hmm yeah, but, but Wayne's amazing, amazing. And the, the way that we got through that time when I was a hot mess was just clear communication. And I, what, I, what I thought, so there was one day and I'd been crying all day, like eight hours I'd been crying. Mm-hmm. And I had a date to go and see him. And I wanted to go see him, but, you know, who wants this? okay you're gonna go out with someone who's just been crying for eight hours what fun you know (laughs) oh joy and um i decided that he was an adult who could make up his own mind 
And so I called him up and I said, you know, I have been crying for eight hours and we have a date tonight and I would really love to see you, but I don't know how I'm going to be. And it's up to you. There's no harm, no foul. If you say, you know, I'm not up for this today and let's just pass. Mm -hmm. And he said, no, I'm okay. I'm okay. You can, you can be however you are. And then the next thing I said was, I'm just sad. You don't have to fix me. You can just let me be. And he told me later that that was really helpful because Mm -hmm. he tried to make me feel better. And I didn't need anyone to make me feel any other way than I was. And because he was okay with how I was, I didn't cry. Because he didn't need me to be another way. The other thing that we did did that was really great was every date we each looked on as an opportunity to, to get to know each other better. Mm-hmm. And so like, and we alternated dates, planning dates. Oh, that's fine. Oh, that's nice. So the first date we went to Whole Foods and we alternated picking foods that we liked and we had to explain why. And then we went and had a picnic looking out at the Statue of Liberty. That is so cute. And then my day, I did a, um, a, a graffiti crawl. Okay, cool. In East Harlem. And then we went and listened to blues on 126th Street. And, and so we alternated dates like that and each date informed the other person and and sort of told us more about what we loved those are great dates i like that version of dating it's fun right yeah because you're choosing something that tells a little bit more about yourself instead of just like hey let's go out to dinner get something to eat Yep. There's more to the date. Yeah. And it really does tell about yourself, like a in a way that's more than just like verbally telling, even though at the Whole Foods you're telling, but it's like you're also showing, okay, so like this is how I navigate the grocery store. And this is like how I kind of see the world. That, that feels very like large, but it makes sense to me. And, and you know, we, we went to a museum. You know, what section of the museum do you want to look at? Why do you love this? And it's easier. It's actually, I find it really hard to sit opposite someone and go, okay, so tell me about yourself. I'm <laughs> so not interested. <laughs> like, you know, take me to hear a good jazz band. Mm-hmm. Let's go out to Little Island, you know, and let's do something that tells me something about you. That's more fun. And also, you know, if you're walking and talking, I mean, my idea with dating on Bumble, because I couldn't be touched, so that kind of puts a crimp in <laughs> um, was to, to do things with men that we both liked mm-hmm. so that we would have an enjoyable time. And then go from there. Anyway, it worked. I met my I met my boyfriend. We committed to each other six months after we met. Wow. 
And July 1st, we is three years from our first date. Wow. Yep. To go back just a little bit, because I know you mentioned it a couple of times, but why do you call yourself the bad widow? Bad widow. Um, A couple of reasons. When I became a widow, what I discovered was that people had no idea how to deal with me. And mostly they were getting it wrong. So a good widow would just go along and say, oh, thank you. Or yes, I'm fine. And I didn't do that. If I was not fine, I would not say I was fine. I would say, here's how I actually am, which was uncomfortable for some people. So I'm a bad widow because my intent is to blow up the assumptions that people make about how to deal with someone like me Mm -hmm. and correct the record from inside the experience. Because they're not getting it wrong because they're mean. They're getting it wrong because nobody's actually told them what it's like from inside. And so that was bad widow. The other thing is it's awesome branding. (laughs) It is (laughs) awesome branding. And people have a horrible time with it because putting bad and widow together jars people. No, you're not a bad widow. You're a badass widow. You're a good widow. You're a, no, I'm a bad widow because I intend to blow up how we deal with grief in this country because I think it's toxic. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't allow the people grieving to grieve in a way that brings them through whole. And it doesn't allow the people who want to support them to support them in a way that actually gives them what they need. And this is true, you know, in personal relationships, it's true in companies. Mm -hmm. You know, how are you treating the person who's now going back to work, who lost someone during COVID? Right. So bad widow, I'm blowing that up. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Yeah. That is awesome. But Allison, a.k.a. The Bad Widow, we want to thank you so much for coming on and just letting us into your life and telling us your story. But, you know, we have one last question that we have to ask you. And that question is, is marriage worth it? Yes. Yes, it is. I love how succinct it is. Just a yes. Just a yes. (laughs) But on your own terms. For your own reasons, not because it's a should. You should get married if that's your own longing and your partner's own longing. Not because anyone else says it is. But yes, it is. All righty. It's a yes, it is. (laughs) Is there anything you would like to promote or um, let the people know? Sure. Um, If you want to see more of, of my stuff, it's badwidow.com. And I am coming out with a book called The Bad Widow Guide to Life After Loss, Moving Through Grief to Live and Love Again. That will come out uh, September 20th. So be looking for that. Well, thank you so much for spending some time with us, giving us some great gems. Um, we can't wait for your book to come out and I can't wait to go obsess over your website. <laughs> 
If you would like to follow the show, it is Marriage Worth It on Instagram and Twitter. And it, you can also email us, email us at marriageworthit at gmail.com. Send us any questions, guest recommendations, or, you know, a man or two on our way. <laughs> this has been Marriage Worth It. I'm Janelle. And I'm Monique.